Amen. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, you know, it's just some of those mornings just like, man, I want to stay in bed. Make me crazy. There was a time in my younger life where I lost it, but uh, I'm old now, so uh, whatever. You know, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing, right, when we put all of our kind of hope and stuff and in, in, in ideas into things of the world, uh, whether it's even just the way we think about Sunday mornings, we, we get trapped in these sort of grains and way of thinking that say, you know, we have to have this or do this. And when those things don't work right, we begin to feel this anxiety and stress and it just begins to build up, especially for those of us that are a part of, you know, maybe putting it together when work doesn't go right in your own life or when things aren't going well at home. It, it wells up this anxiety, this stress, this thing. And Book of James chapter 1 actually addresses this in a very significant way. Are you waving to me? Oh, good call. That, this right here is not helping me at all. And so uh, if you are in middle school or high school or some age in that general vicinity, we have a class that is meeting right back here. You can walk out those back doors. Mr. Ryan is standing right back there. That's a good call, Brandon. Thank you for that. We all just probably go home, but here's the deal. So, um, so anyway, we, we build our, and James talks about these things. He talks about the trials and the struggles and the temptations that come. He said life is basically full of them. It's full of things that are going to let you down. It's full of things that are going to fail and struggle and how you are uh, fail and, and fall apart. But how you respond and live in the middle of those things is actually really important. If they bring about stress and anxiety and worry, um, he says that basically we're, we're living according to our own thought processes, our own ways, our own understanding. But when we allow those things, even in the middle of them, to create a place of joy in our life where we can trust that God is developing perseverance in us, we consider trials and struggles and tribulations joy, we're approaching life with a better and a right heart. And so James chapter 1, he actually opens up by saying, look, whenever you face trials and struggles of many kinds, um, consider it pure joy. Life is full of these things. So the opportunity that we have this morning is just kind of turn some of this into, this is an opportunity that we have to consider things joyful. Whether life hits at our perfect spot or whether it lets us down or whether we're struggling or whether it's just hard, we have the choice in how we see life. And in the end of that chapter, in the middle of that trials and tribulations, James actually says there's some ways and things that you can do that are vitally important to your spiritual health. And these are the things we're going to look at this morning, that when life hands us its struggles and its hardships and its difficulties, there are some things that we can do and a way that we can approach the world that are vitally important to our spiritual health. They begin with some very tangible, simple truths, and they end with some real recognitions of who we are and who we're called to be and how that should change us. So if you've got your Bible... I want you to open up to James chapter 1. We're going to look at three verses, but I want you to understand it in the context of James's bigger call. And that bigger call in chapter 1 is like, listen, how you live matters. That's what James is basically saying in pretty much his whole book, but especially in chapter 1. How you live actually matters. If you believe in Jesus, it should be evidenced in your life. If you put your trust in him, it should come out in your faith that our actions and our words should match up. And if we look at those things together, basically what James is getting at is that as followers of Christ, we have to be more and better than just paying lip service to God. We have to truly allow those things to back up in the way that we live. And he's going to give us some very tangible pieces to that in the, in the middle of that, that chapter. We have to understand it in the middle of that context and the middle of the context that James is saying, look, life is hard. 
It's going to throw you difficulties and temptations and struggles. It's hard. How you respond and live in the middle of that really matters, which is kind of where we were last week, right? We talked a lot about what we want to be known for um, and how we want to be seen and gentleness and all those patience and kindness and compassion, those things that should wellspring from us. Well, this piggybacks a little bit on that and is going to demonstrate that our actions and our hearts have got to line up. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you open up to James chapter 1. We're going to be in uh, verse 19 through 21, just three short verses. As we look at life, as it kind of unfolds in a way that is different, um, our approach and our understanding of, of life in that context truly, truly matters. Let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we'll open up these short verses together this morning. Lord, I do thank you that you are a, uh, a God who is in absolute control of all things. There is nothing beyond your control, nothing beyond your hand. All things hold together because of who you are. You are sovereign and you are God. Lord, this world can turn upside down. It can rotate around on its axis. It can flip our worlds. It can be challenging. We can deal with pandemics or job loss or struggle or we can have problems at home or we can have difficulties at work. But the truth is none of that changes who you are. In fact, in the middle of all that, you actually call us to rely upon you more. You call us to have the evidence of our trust in you be played out in our lives and how we see the world and how we treat people. And Lord, just because life is difficult does not give us the excuse to live differently. But because we are new creations in Christ, we have been called to something greater and we have been given a demonstration of what that looks like to the person of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, you have called us to a wholly different way of life. And this morning as we open up these few verses, I pray that you would remind us of some tangible ways and things that we can do that are evidenced of the new creation that you have called us to become. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you this morning, whatever that means, whatever he wants to kind of unroll or unveil in your heart, just ask the Lord to teach you for just a few moments. And take a moment and pray for someone around you or behind you, beside you. We do this each week. We want to be the habit of praying for other people. We want to be a community that cares about others even more than we care about ourselves. We want God to move in the lives of people around us even if we don't know them. But sometimes especially if we know them. Pray for the people beside you that God would just move in them this morning. Lord, we turn our time over to you. We know that you are bigger than all the things that unfold on a Sunday morning. Lord, you are true, <clears throat> you are real, and you are all that we need. And we ask these things in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior, and our Redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> so James, I'll tell you one thing that we're going to be done with in 2021 is coughing in public. That's out. So... Uh, we're not going to be doing that anymore. Um, I was thinking, I was going, I'm going to cough here and everyone's going to run. So James, in its context, is really about this idea that in the middle of trials and struggles and difficulties of life, how we live matters. It just matters. How we treat people matters. Not because it says anything about us, but because it says things about who God is. 
that if we claim to be followers of Christ in the middle of life when it gets difficulty, when it gets difficult, we shouldn't just throw everything out and panic, but we should fall back on and trust and rely on the God that we say we believe in, how we treat people in the middle of those things matter. That's why James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. We know the testing of your faith is developing perseverance. So when we're facing life struggles and trials, we're called to consider it joy, not because those are fun, but because God is doing something greater in us. And in verse 19, in the few verses we're going to look at this morning, he actually says in the middle of life's struggles and difficulties, how we live and treat people makes a huge difference. And it makes a huge difference for a couple of reasons. He says this, verse 19, he says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So he says, listen, brothers, as I write to you and I call you in the middle of these difficulties and struggles, in the middle of these things that are challenging and the trials, in the middle of all that, you are going to be at a place where you are tempted to act in a way that is in your best interest. That is all about you. But I want to give you some very tangible things, he says, on how you can live differently and wholly differently in the middle of all this. He says, brothers, in the middle of all this, right, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, these things are relatively easy to look at at face value, right? That we're called to be quick to listen as a people, as followers of Christ. We're called to be slow to speak and slow to become angry, which on any given day... It's really not all that hard when the days are going well and things are kind of unfolding fine and everything at home is okay. I'm a great listener and, you know, I don't, I don't need to be heard all the time and, and I'm not angry at people. But the context of James 1 is actually in the middle of life's difficult moments. When stress is at its all-time high, when you don't know what tomorrow may bring, when you're quarantined at home with the same family and you don't get a new one, right? All these kind of things, and they begin to well and build. And it says in the middle of those things, these are really important spiritual truths that have got to be reflected from an inward place, meaning that your heart and your actions have got to line up, that just because life is hard does not give you a free-for-all to exit towards anxiety and stress. He says, here are a few things, very tangible things, that we should all be practicing in the middle of difficult times, and that is this, we should be quick to listen. So in other words, that we are a person that still values other people enough to say, I want to listen. Now to understand a biblical concept of listening, we're actually talking about listening with understanding. So 14 times in the New Testament, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. What he's basically saying is not, he who has physical ears, let him audibly hear my words. He's saying, if you have ears, let you understand what my words mean. Now, anybody that's been married or is in a long-time dating relationship knows the difference between listening and hearing. There's a huge difference. Being able to listen and understand is very different than hearing audible words. And so what James is saying is in the middle of difficulty, when you want to turn internal, when you want people to worry about you, when you're the one that wants to be heard, that's when we as Christ followers say, I want to be quick to listen to the hurts and the needs and the struggles and the pains of the people around you. 
It's why on Sunday morning we want to be in the habit of praying for other people because everything that unfolds is not about you. We've been trained as a Western church culture to think that everything that unfolds in the church is for me. We church shop that way. We walk in and we say from a consumer mentality, what do you have to offer me and my family? And if you don't, then we're leaving and going somewhere that will. And so the churches compete. They throw up rock climbing walls or this new this or that new that to try and get you to stay. Because we're being trained that we can meet all of your needs. And so our internal focus is oftentimes on what can you do for me. In the middle of struggle, I'm the one that wants to be heard. But what James says is like, look, life is full of trials and temptations. And you don't know what the people around you are walking through. You have no idea what that bank teller or that lady that's working at the, the, barista, the barista that's working at your coffee shop or even your coworker that sits next to you. You have no idea what they're walking through. So be quick to listen. Be someone that actually wants to hear the words of the people you're speaking to because in those words and in those moments is an understanding that you care for people. The greatest thing you can give someone is the value of time, right? The time and that sort of audibly listening to them. So he says, be quick to listen. He goes on to say, and on top of that, I want you to be slow to speak. Let's be in a place where we are not at a place where we want to jump our words in as quick as we can. Right, and of course this is coming from someone, myself, who has zero ability to use that little regulator slash filter that comes with every normal human mind. Mine's on like a 10 second delay. Where I say things without thinking about them or whatever jumps to my mind. Logan and Brandon often talk about the idea that sometimes they want to put one of those dog collars on me, the shock collars. And then right when they hear what's about to come out of my mouth, sometimes they just want to zap me. Just so I won't say it out loud. Because sometimes we are quick to speak. We're we're not adept to listen well and then just let it sit because we want to fight silence. We don't know what to do with silence a lot of times. One of the great things I was taught in seminary and pastoral counseling classes was just the ministry of silence and how to sit with someone in awkward moments. Which is a really fascinating deal. How to not fill it with my words. And so what James is saying is that when life is handing us all these things, that we should be a people that are driven, that are quick to listen with understanding to other people's problems and not just vomit yours out. And then slow to speak. Right? My wife would tell me this all the time. You don't have to fix everything. Slow to speak. And then he says, and slow to become angry. Which, of course, is, is important for all of us in any situation. But when do you want to get angry the most? When life is at its all-time stressful points. This is hard stuff we're walking and living in right now. Financial times are hard. Marital times are hard. Work life is hard. It's really easy to become angry. We're all at a place of unrest politically or whatever's unfolding around us. It just feels like the tension is building. And it's so quick to be able to go from zero to 60 in terms of anger or frustration or hurt. And James says, be slow to become angry. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, don't become angry. A lot of times in our Christian culture, we have equated anger with sin, like they're the same thing. Like anytime you're angry, it's actually sinful. That's not actually true. 
From a biblical standpoint, there is such thing as a holy and a righteous anger. In fact, Paul talks about it in Ephesians when he says, Look, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. and your anger, do not sin. So what he's saying is this, there is a right place for anger. Things in this world should well up and anger us. When we hear about child sex trafficking or slavery or racial oppression or things around the world, it should well in us this holy anger that wants to see justice for people that can't fight for themselves. As an example, there are other places, right? Have you ever heard Brandon talk about him? Uh, a place where he's encountered people that are preaching a false gospel, wells up in him this righteous anger that wants to fight for truth. So there is a holy, righteous anger, and then there is a place where anger turns to sin. And anger is quickly turned to sin when it's about me, when it doesn't bring the Lord glory, and when we let it linger. Those are really the easy hallmarks, right? When anger is somehow about me, when I'm mad because of what you've done to me, when I'm mad because I didn't get mine or I didn't get recognized or you didn't listen to me or you didn't do this, anytime it's about you, that anger is steeped in sin. Anytime that anger does not bring about God's holiness or righteousness, right? You're fighting for something other than the righteousness, the holiness of God. Or anytime you let it linger. Because when we let anger linger, what does it lead to? It leads to resentment. Resentment leads to death. Every time. Without exception. It's why James says, don't let the sun go down while you're mad. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Why? Because anger that lingers leads to bitterness. And bitterness is the poison that will kill any relationship and will also just steal your joy. So he says, listen, life is hard. It's full of temptations. It's full of struggles. And it's going to throw at you this thing that wants you to live. The world's going to push you that wants you to live in this place of anxiety or fear. But James says, listen, in the middle of all that, you're called to count it joy, but you're also how you treat people, what you say, what you don't say, and what you do matters. It actually really matters. Because if you're a Christ follower, it should be coming out of who you are. But the hallmark of your life is that even when life is difficult for you, you're an incredible person that people want to go to with their struggles. Are you a person that people come to and say, hey, can I talk to you? If not, you may want to ask yourself why. There's probably a reason. And so James lays out these very simple three things, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Listen to what else he says. He says, your man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. So James says, therefore, which is always a linking word. So that therefore is a connector. So because, and because we're talking about this idea of being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, right? Because we're working on transforming the inside of our lives, we actually can't just do what's visibly on the outside or audibly on the outside. It means you can't just talk to people. You've got to be working on that thing that happens deep inside of your heart. Because the truth is you can listen to people. You can be slow to speak. And you can work on your anger and still have a very poisoned heart. So he says this. He says, therefore, because you're working on these other outward expressions of this life that's changed in you, you need to continue to press yourself to do the internal house cleaning and rid yourself of the moral filth, which is actually a Greek word that means rubbish, waste, excrement. 
And you start thinking about this going, what is it inside of me that is so filthy, so garbage driven, so such rubbish that it needs to be taken out with the garbage? Well, the truth is it's a pretty easy thing to identify because every one of us, including myself, knows exactly what James is referring to in our own lives. And a lot of times it's things that we don't want to admit, but we know they're there. They're mental things, right? I have an anger problem. I've got a judgment problem. I've got a pornography problem. I've got a mindset problem. I've got a bitterness problem. I've got a resentment problem. God is calling me out of these things. I've got a, maybe it's a physical thing, right? I'm battling addiction or I'm struggling with, with whatever these things are. They're different for all of us, but we know what it is. And most of us don't want to do the house cleaning that it takes to rid ourselves of that moral filth because it is painful and it's hard. Number one, we don't want to admit it's a problem. And number two, we become so accustomed to it that it actually has created a place of comfort in our lives. Anybody that has ever watched the show Hoarders, or has someone in your life that you know has gone through that mental battle, knows what I'm talking about. The idea that the stuff around you is killing you, but you have the mental inability to part with it, is a very real thing. It's a sickness. And sin is a sickness. We know those things in our life are killing us, like that garbage that's building up in a home. That even people on the outside sometimes can see it and say, this is not healthy. And yet we're still willing to live in it. Because we become so comfortable with the idea and we're afraid of what to do without it. And it's so hard to say that out loud because we know the things are killing us. The judgment, the resentment, the anger, the hatred, the lack of forgiveness. The way I feel about myself when I look in the mirror the way I feel about my spouse, the things that I think, the lust, the whatever it is that runs through your soul. James says it's not enough just to go, hey, I'm going to be nice to you and I'm going to be quick to listen and all those things. You've got to be at the same time purging yourself of the moral filth that is so prevalent. And it is so prevalent in our culture, they are telling us, our culture is selling us and they're selling our children things that are saying, these things are now okay. No matter how contrary they are to biblical truth, they are okay. And we have to be at a place where we're willing to wage war against the moral garbage and filth that is killing and choking the life out of us. It leads to a life of inconsistency. And inconsistency on any level is unhealthy, but especially spiritually. An inconsistency is this. A words that say, I love Jesus, I trust Jesus, and a life that doesn't reflect that at all. Words that say, God, I believe you're big enough and are calling me to rid my life of this. And then a person that's holding so tightly to whatever that thing is that they won't let go of it. It's inconsistent. And it's poisonous. And so James says, yeah, you've got to work out what comes out of your mouth, but also you've got to cleanse out your heart. And that moral filth is prevalent and it's really easy to hide behind because you know what? It doesn't matter anymore. Who cares? The truth is it matters to the Lord because he's calling you to rid yourself of it. Whatever that thing is that he's pressing on your heart, even now, that's the thing. You've got to throw it out, burn the ships, whatever it takes to say, I'm going to purge my life of this. I'm not going to say that, live that lie, do that thing anymore. And James says you have got to work at it because it is prevalent. 
and it will come back, and you've got to fight it. And he says, this is why we fight it, right? We have to, because it's so prevalent, what we have to do in exchange is that we have to humbly accept the word that is planted in you which can save you. So James says this, we're going to humbly fight these things and do them because there's a secret that you know as a follower of Christ, and that is this. There has been the word of life that has been planted in you. In James chapter 1, or in the verse, first sentence there, he says, I am James, a servant of God. That word servant in the Greek is the word doulos, which means bondservant. But really, if you do a lot of research, it means slave. And we don't like to use the term slave, of course, because of all the connotations it has in our nation's history and history around the world. But if you really understand what Paul's or what James is saying, we'll get the idea of what it means to be a slave to Christ. He says, I am James, I'm a slave to Christ. Scripture is very clear that before Jesus, we are slaves to sin. Sin is our master. We do exactly what it says and how, why it says and when it says, and we are slave to it. It is prevalent and it runs through us. But the beautiful picture of the gospel is that while you were enslaved to sin, God in his infinite, incredible, holy wisdom sent his son, sinless and flawless, to walk this earth, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross, to purchase you out of slavery, to literally bail you out and graft you into his covenant family where slaves become friends and friends become co-heirs to the throne of God. So when James says, I am a slave to Christ, he's proclaiming a truth. Not a truth of, I have to, but a truth of, I get to. And so what he's saying at the end of this verse is, listen, my identity, the word of life that is planted in me, is that I am no longer mine, but I am a slave to Jesus. He is my Lord and my Savior, and I therefore am His because He bought me at a great price. So the reason we work towards these things is because we belong to someone else, and we have been made completely new. And that reflection is vitally important because you are no longer a reflection of yourself to the world. You're a reflection of the goodness and the greatness of God. Which means if God can purchase you out of slavery and bind you to himself and redeem your broken mess of a life, then that truth is for everyone. Look, every one of us has a right to be mad about something and be frustrated or resentment or angry. We can do that with 2021 moving forward. We can blame Trump. We can blame Biden. We can blame Senate. We can blame the Congress. We can blame whoever we want to blame. We can point the finger at COVID. We can get mad at all of these things and we can live in resentment. That is an absolute choice that you have. You can be mad at your spouse and mad at your kids and mad at the world. You can be resentful and angry and full of hate. You can. It's absolutely an opportunity. But James is saying you've been bought out of that way of thinking and way of life. And the word of life is planted in you and will save you because you are a new creation. Therefore, you are no longer slave to that thought. You are actually slave to a different thought, which is I am no longer bound by the ways of the world. I don't have to respond to the way the world responds. I don't have to shout and scream and yell injustice all the time because I don't get my way. I can love people really well. That's what we talked about last week. I can be compassionate and kindness, and I can be good. And I can look at the people around me and I can actually say to them, tell me about your story. 
What are you struggling with? I'd love to hear. And I can listen to them. And I can listen well without dumping my whatever that is. And I can choose to not be an angry person. I can choose to be slow and put my anger into the righteous places that it is, but love my wife and kids or my husband and family well. Why? Because I'm at work that it constantly is working to purge my life of the garbage that used to define me, that keeps crawling back in, that I've got to fight against those mental mindsets, those deep diseases that kind of bury through our hearts. Because look, 2021 is a new year, and you have an opportunity to be a new you. Not because of what you do, but because of who Christ says you are. And it's time for us as followers of Christ to live into that and be recognized for it. How are people going to see you as you walk forward? Are you working on cleansing out your heart? Are you throwing out the moral filth and garbage? Are you working to be a person that is kind and compassionate and good and patient, that's slow to speak, quick to listen. So as I thought about this and unfolded over this week as I was thinking through these verses, I just, I want to embark on a new year with some new things that are very tangibly true in my life, which is I want to be who Christ calls me to be, who he says I am. And it may take a little bit of house cleaning in my heart. But I would much rather be known for my kindness and compassion than my anger and resentment. I'd much rather be known as someone that would listen and care than someone that was constantly complaining. I'd much rather be known as someone that was working on airing out my own sin than just being complacent in it. I'd much rather try and fail and try and fail and let Jesus keep standing me up than to become content with the garbage that is slowly killing me. It's time to make a cleansing. It's time to make some outward changes that are driven by inward renewal. So whatever that is for you, whatever you know the Lord is calling you to rid yourself of, however that needs to be transformed in your heart and however it needs to come out of your life, let last week's and these week's verses be that promise to you that we are called to be new creations in a new year and a new you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, well, the projector's on. We thank you for that. That's something pretty cool. It's a miracle. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and hear your word. For an incredible worship team that rallies together behind Don's great leadership just to fill gaps and voids and more so continue our heart of worship. Lord, I thank you for an incredible church that is so forgiving and so kind and so compassionate that it's just a place where people can be truly real. We don't feel like we have to perform perfectly. I don't carry a ton of anxiety going, oh my gosh, no one's coming back because the projector doesn't work because the truth is this community is built differently. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm grateful that we can gather together and in honesty say, you know what, we're not really all perfect. In fact, i got a lot of sin and a lot of struggle, and we all do, and it's time to make some of those cleansings, and we can look at each other and say, I need your help to rid my life of this. I want to be someone different. I need to get this out of my life. I pray that we would be a group of people that would confess those things to each other in our life groups. We would be honest with our struggles and vulnerable with our weakness. 
that we would love each other well at a place where we would listen and understand and hear. We'd be slow to speak and gossip and all those things and really slow to become angry, but angry at the right things. Don't let us become an idle people where the garbage in our lives slowly suffocates the life out of us. But Lord, help us rid and clean and purge those areas so that we can be free. So Lord, as we close our time in worship, I pray that you would be exalted and glorified, that you would be lifted up and that we might take these truths and make them powerful proclamations in our own heart and life. Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning as we celebrate all that God promises that we are and what he's given us in Christ.